0: 2 Kings 15, and I'll remind you, if you have a, an electronic device, go ahead and silence that. Because some of y'all's music is just not cool on your iPhone. <laughs> no, we don't want any, any distractions there. 2 Kings chapter 15, and once you get there, and i want you to also find second chronicles chapter 26 that's just two things to do you shouldn't lose track yes ma'am second chronicles chapter 26 and just put a marker there Glad you came and glad for those who are tuning in on the internet as well, and for those like the pastor and Tammy watch this later on during the week because they're involved in their class. Okay, everybody have those two places marked? One is our normal text and the other is Second Chronicles 26. Now we were in in 2nd Kings 15, which is where we're going to start. We were in verse 5 when we stopped last week. And I want to reread verse 5. And the Lord smote the king. Now that's Azariah also known as Uzziah. Good. And the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, that's a separate house, and Jotham the king's son was over the house judging the people of the land. And there's such a short passage in Second Kings 15 about Azariah or Uzziah that we went to Second Chronicles 26 to get a lot more details about his life and why he got leprosy. And so for those details, we looked in Second Chronicles 26, and I'll reread verse 16. And we saw that when he, that's Azariah, was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Listen to how Solomon addressed this very issue of lifting yourself up, of being prideful. It's found in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, Proverbs 16 verse 18, where he wrote, Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Now I've quoted that verse a lot of times since I began teaching Sunday school, because that's the beginning of a lot of sin right there, is pride. And a haughty spirit, now we don't use the word haughty too much, but in that verse, the word haughty means height, H-E-I-G-H-T. In fact, there are nine places in the Old Testament where the Hebrew word translated haughty is translated as the word height. So you get the idea that to be haughty means to lift yourself up, to put yourself in a higher place than where you actually belong. Now here's an example. I am five feet nine inches and shrinking by the year or stooping over by the year. I told Ann one day, I said, you know, something I notice as I get older is when I get up out of a chair and start walking, it takes me longer to straighten up than it used to. I used to stand straight up and walk straight. Now, I just take a few steps. But being five feet, nine inches, for me to reach something that's six feet tall, I've got to stretch my arms up a little bit. I can still get to it. But for me to reach something that is eight feet tall, I need a ladder or a chair to lift me up. I cannot lift myself up to that height even though I really want to. I really don't want to get the ladder because it's in the garage and I'm usually upstairs or somewhere way off from that ladder when I need it. Imagine if I stood on my back porch and tried to hang up my wife's ferns. She's got two ferns out there, and we have them hung on the eave of the overhang of our porch. And it's about nine feet to those hooks. So imagine if I wanted to try to hang those ferns on those hooks without a ladder. I could strain and stretch all I want. And if you watched me long enough, that's entertainment. I'd look foolish. You'd say, what does Andy think he's doing? Doesn't he realize he's not nine feet tall? He cannot reach... Those hooks, he's going to have to have a ladder. He's going to have to have something else to lift him up. So if I were to stand on that porch and think, I don't need a ladder, I can reach it just fine, that's being haughty. That's what being haughty is. And anybody with any sense would say, well, he can do that all day long and he's never going to get... To where he can put those ferns on those hooks. Now, spiritually, man looks awfully foolish when he believes that lifting himself up, which is being haughty, will make him or his works acceptable in God's sight. Man strains and stretches just like me on that porch, hoping to make himself high enough High enough for me to hang up those ferns, but man thinks he can make himself high enough to please God, to accomplish what God wants him to do. And the fact is, he can't. He needs a ladder, doesn't he? And so, what I do on that porch is I realize before I even go out there that I can't reach the hooks, and so I go get the ladder. Now, in a very uh, earthy sense, that's me humbling myself to the truth that I'm not tall enough to hang those ferns by myself. And so rather than fighting it and saying, oh, I can do it, I'm going to do it this time. I I don't need a ladder this time. Nothing about me has changed. I'm the same height and shrinking by the year, right? So instead, I humble myself and I just go to the garage and get the ladder before I ever take on that task of trying to hang the ferns. And spiritually, what we do when we humble ourselves is we say, I'm not tall enough. I'm not high enough. I need the Lord and I need Him at the early outset of what I'm trying to do for Him. I need God. I don't need to try this myself. And so we turn to the Lord as lowly and helpless totally depending on God to lift us up. And what had Azariah done? He lifted himself up. He lifted His heart was lifted up, and it was to his destruction. Now, any leader, such as King Azariah, the President of the United States, the leader of a business, or the pastor of a church, chief of police, whoever it may be, can easily become haughty and think that he can lift his heart up by his own strength and accomplish God's will. Listen to what James chapter 4, verse 10 says. This sure will make it a lot easier on us. James 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. In other words... He's got a ladder right there. He is the ladder. But he's got a ladder right there, and all you have to do is say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't teach this Sunday school class without your spirit teaching me through your word what to say. I can't just get up here and wing it, and the people won't put up with it if I do. They'll know, hey, that guy didn't even study. Why, he's not even, what he's saying, it's not in here. I don't see it. So I just admit that right off the bat when I walk up my stairs and sit at the computer and do my studying. I say, Lord, you've never failed me yet. And I know you won't now. And he says, yeah, I've got the ladder right here. Azariah was not content with his place in life. He was a powerful king by earthly standards. And by the mighty hand of God... He was one who had been lifted up, which allowed him to defeat his enemies. But as we talked about last week, as loosely as he took God's word concerning the high places, you remember the ones he left standing so the people could worship, as loosely as he took God's word concerning that, he also took a slack view of God's word concerning the house of the Lord, and we're going to look at that. And this is what happens when you lift yourself up too. Now, I asked you to uh, mark your place in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. So just flip over there for a moment. And this is telling us about the same king, even though his name is called Uzziah, in 2 Chronicles 26. Now, looking back in verse 16... It says this about Uzziah, Azariah. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now, who were the ones that were allowed and were actually assigned to burn incense at the altar of incense inside the house of the Lord? It was the priests, the Levites. It wasn't the king. The Levite was not to become a king. A Levite was a priest. So, even though this was the king of the world, in his mind anyway, Uzziah, he was the king of his country. When he lifted up his heart to his own destruction, the evidence of that was that he went into the temple of the Lord and he burned incense. I can do this just as good as they can. I'm the king. And then continuing in verse 17, and Azariah the priest, now how about that? We have a priest who has the same name as the king in our other text in Second Kings. So thankfully, the king's name is Uzziah in chapter 26. And Azariah the priest went in after him. And with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men, and boy, they had to be to say what they were about to say. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. In other words, you're not pleasing God. You think you're pleasing God by coming in here to burn incense to him, but you're not. Then Uzziah was wroth, he was angry, and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him And behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence, yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. Whoa, what a scene. Now that turns the light on for us regarding what we read back in 2 Kings 15 because we didn't get a lot of detail there, and we do here. That's the great benefit of many of these stories being recorded in both the Kings and the Chronicles is you get different details, like the Gospels. In the Gospels, you'll see a lot of things that tell the same story, and then you'll see some details in one that are not in one of the others. And it's wonderful to study them together. So what do we have here? Uzziah the king would not listen to the righteous rebuke of the priests. They told him, you don't belong in here. You need to leave. But rather than saying, you know what, you're right. I messed up, guys. I'm sorry. I need to go make this right with the Lord. Y'all take care of business, and I'll go take care of mine. He didn't do that. He got mad. Now, that's what people often do when... The word of God is taught to them. And it conflicts with their current practice or their way of thinking. They say, Oh, I don't like the what he said. I don't like the way he said that. I don't like what he said. You're like Uzziah, you're wroth with the priests who are telling you the truth. And you read what happened. When he was angry with the priest, he got leprosy in his forehead. Leprosy is to teach us about sin and what it does and the effect that it has and how it separates us and so forth. And so in anger, Uzziah was dead set on burning incense, on sinning. But God smote him with leprosy. And this caused several things to happen. Number one, now Uzziah was personally defiled he had leprosy and so all of those close relationships he had with his friends with his family with his servants that was over with there wouldn't be any more side by side and little group huddles and sitting next to the throne and having meetings together that was over with he had leprosy He was contagious. A second thing that happened is that Uzziah defiled the house of the Lord. So not only was a leper not supposed to be in the house of the Lord, he wasn't even supposed to be within the walls of the city. There was a special place for lepers, and that was in a leper's camp outside the walls of the city. And thirdly, Uzziah, with his leprosy, defiled the palace because the Bible tells us he had to live in a several house, one that was severed, a separate house, a different place. In verse 20 said, in, in the 2 Chronicles 26, verse 20 said, the priests thrust him out. Boy, what a humbling turn of events. A king who was physically healthy one moment, Goes in to the house of the Lord, does wrong, the priests all confront him. It says there were 80 of them in the, and in the Azariah, the priest, probably the chief priest or high priest. 80 of them all agreed, you're wrong. God's word agreed, you're wrong, you're not a Levite, you're not a priest, this doesn't pertain to you. And that once physically healthy king and his pride lost that day. They lost to the judgment of the Lord because the Bible said God God smote him with leprosy. He didn't catch it from one of the priests. None of them had it or they wouldn't have been allowed to be in the priesthood in the first place. And all of that happened just as quickly as Uzziah's anger rose up in him. In fact, if you remember back in verse 16, it said, but when he was strong. And we've looked at how his heart was lifted up. We've dealt with the foolishness of someone who thought he was high enough to hang the fern without a ladder, right? But now let's see what God's Word says about the proper way to be strong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, the Apostle Paul had asked the Lord three times to take away a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know exactly what that was. It may have been something with his sight. That would be reasonable. But it was something that was bothering him physically. And listen to God's answer in verses 9 through 10. And listen for the word strength here. And he that's God said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, not Paul's strength, my strength, God's strength, is made perfect in weakness, that is in your weakness. When you're weak, I'm strong. God's strong anyway, but his strength is made perfect, it's made complete in Paul when Paul was weak. God didn't need Paul's strength to help God's strength, to put the two together and See if that would work. That's what people do when they deny that the cross of Jesus Christ and what happened there is sufficient for their salvation. They say, well, we're going to take what God did, and we're going to take what I did, and we're going to merge those two together, and that ought to get me into heaven, I hope, I think. God doesn't need our strength. He takes us in our weakness. So Paul continued, most gladly, therefore, because of that, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now you have to read all of those verses to understand what that means. If you just read for when I am weak, then am I strong? You'd say, well, what does that mean? You can't be weak and strong at the same time. You can't be physically weak and physically strong at the same time. But you can be physically weak and spiritually strong, and it is when the power of Christ rests upon you. So when Uzziah was strong, what happened? He was made weak with leprosy, wasn't he? He lifted himself up in his own strength And God smote him and made him weak with leprosy. But when Paul was weak, he was made strong by the power of Christ. Uzziah exalted himself, Paul humbled himself. And if your own sense of power or strength is derived from your physical strength, your success in life, your influence over others, or your position as this king then you, my friend, are weak. You know, I love to lift weights to increase my physical strength. I love to work hard and be successful at my job. But these things are transient. They're passing. I'm not always going to be strong in my flesh. I'm not nearly as strong as I was when I was a younger man. And I accept that. I'm weaker than I used to be. And I'm not always going to be successful in my job. There's going to come a day when my mind and my body don't do the job I do well enough for me to stay in it. And that's when I'll do something else. I'll retire. Now, when I retire, that doesn't mean I'll stop working. That just gives me more time to work for the Lord and in my garden. And if my power were limited to those things that I just named... Being physically strong, being successful at work, and so forth, then I'm just weak and getting weaker. In fact, in God's sight, I'm as weak as weak can get. But that's okay because He doesn't need me to be strong in my flesh. He doesn't say, "Well, Andy, if you ever get where you can bench press three hundred pounds again, then I'll uh, I'll work with you." Oh. I could be on my deathbed and God is strong when I'm weak and I'm, I'm strong when the power of Christ rests on me. I'm strong in the Spirit and that's what really matters. And if you're strong in the Spirit, you'll never be weak again. Not spiritually. Because you're strong in the Spirit because you can't be weak and strong at the same time. Last week I read an obituary about a man who had died And in the beginning of the obituary, it said, so-and-so went to be with the Lord. And much of the rest of the obituary talked about how carnal he was. And I thought, well, one of those two things doesn't need to be there. There was never anything written about his love for the Lord, No spiritual things. His works for the kingdom of God, how he was a witness to others. I don't know whether he was a Christian or not. That's between him and God. But all of the carnal things that were said about him were useless. Especially when he drew his last breath. None of those things paved the way for him after death. None of those things impressed God. None of them could save him while he was alive. And I'm not criticizing families who like to write about their loved ones' accomplishments in the obituary as much as I'm saying that those aren't the things that are the most important. Whether a man was a Christian whether he served God by being a witness to others in his daily walk, those are the things that show a good testimony. That is what needs to be the headline, if there is going to be one. As you know, the obituaries are sold by words, and if my state's going to pay for one, I want it to be short. Just Andy Shepherd. A servant of the Lord passed away and then do the honor of naming my family who survived me and those who predeceased me. About that long. That's all it needs to be. Servant of the Lord. Because that's all that matters. All of that other stuff, where he worked and how long he worked, those are nice things. If somebody didn't know me well and said, hey, I wonder what he did before he died. And those are all nice things. They're honorable things. There's not a thing dishonorable about being a Department of Public Safety trooper. If that goes in there, that's fine, but that didn't pave the way for me to be accepted by the Lord. There's nothing wrong with saying he loved to fish and do all these things. No, there's nothing evil about those in themselves, but none of those put me in a better position in the eyes of the Lord. They're just historical facts. But the phrase, the servant of the Lord, that's what's most important, isn't it? When you read Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith, rather than the Hall of Fame, you'll notice that before the spiritual works of each dead saint are listed, the words by faith or through faith are first written. Listen to part of Moses' obituary as it's recorded in Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26. Now, if you've been here long, you've studied Moses' life, ministry, and death. He had a lot of print in the Old Testament. A lot of details, a lot of things he did that were good, and a lot of things, well, not a lot, but several things that weren't so good. And, boy, they stood out. But here's what the obituary says. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. What we don't read about there in Hebrews 11 is how Moses was a member of royalty, Remember, he was raised in the palace by the Pharaoh's daughter. We don't, well, and he was nursed by his own mother, which was a wonderful act of God's providence. But we don't read how he was a member of royalty and had all of these riches and all of these things because he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He could have said, oh yeah, it's my mom. That's, my mom's the queen. I mean, my mom is the princess, and he would have had all kinds of benefits and connections in life. That's all he had to do is lift himself up and say, she's my mom. We don't read about what a, what a party animal Moses was, how much beer he could drink, or how much he loved to go do this thing and that thing, because it says he refused to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We don't read about how financially wealthy Moses was in Egypt because there were no riches in Egypt, no amount of money, gold, silver, property, that were worth as much and certainly not more than the reproaches of Christ. The reproach of Christ, that is, that negative image that people have of you because you're a Christian that right there was worth more than all the riches in Egypt but most importantly about Moses' obituary are the words by faith that's what a Christian's obituary ought to sound like by faith he placed his trust in what Jesus did on the cross by faith he served the Lord in his home in his workplace, in his community. By faith, he taught his children the Bible and raised them in a Christian home, and so on and so on. But Uzziah, Azariah, was working on his obituary. But nowhere in there could I see where his obituary might begin by faith. His would have been by his own strength, By his lifted up heart, these things fell out unto him. And I don't know that many people would write a truthful obituary about themselves before they die. But it'd be kind of refreshing, wouldn't it? At least it would to me if somebody who'd just been wicked and evil his whole life wrote a truthful obituary about himself and said, don't do like me don't do all these awful things that I did. I have nothing to show for all of that. But people tend to put glowing things about the most wicked people who ever lived. People who rejected Jesus, didn't want anything to do with Him. But oh, He went to be with the Lord. Let God be the judge. Azariah like many rulers, had to learn a lesson the hard way. He was a relatively good king, but he wasn't a great king, as we read when we were introduced to him back in our text. He lost his humility, he lost his temper, and he ended up losing his health, and as we will see, his position. Because there in 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 21, it says... And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. There were two places Azariah used to go. The house of the Lord, for what he did in the verses before this, and his own house. Now he can't go to either one of them. He is the king in name only. He's a kino, isn't he? King in name only. Like a rhino, republican in name only. Although he is called the king, his son is going to rule the country. His son will judge the country. How embarrassing it must have been to be a deposed king living as a leper in another house and watch your son have to do the job that you were supposed to do. All because of your pride and your unrighteous anger. Now let's look at the priests in the house of the Lord. Stay in Second Chronicles 26. I want to reread verses 18 through 20. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God, Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. Now, these are the kind of spiritual leaders we need in our country and in the church. The kind who will tell you when you're wrong, whether you're a common person or the king. They will tell you, thou hast trespassed. According to the Baptist News Global, in 2022... The United Methodist Church's North Texas Conference adopted by a 98% vote a resolution on transgender youth and families, pledging that United Methodist Churches would be a safe sanctuary for trans children, youth, and their families. So those churches refuse to say to the transgender person, thou has trespassed. What about the Baptists? Are they clear in this matter? No, <laughs> not at all. Members of an Ohio congregation are inviting, now I'm quoting, are inviting the community to a September 8th worship service officially welcoming one of the few openly transgender Baptist ministers as their new pastor. And according to the same Baptist News Global, that church is called the Wake Forest Baptist Church. And One more. According to Charisma News, this is an online newspaper, a former Southern Baptist church has decided all are welcomed in their pulpit Going so far as to ordain gay and transgender ministers, First Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina, the church home of the first Southern Baptist Convention president, has taken a bold move, they say, in embracing the complexities of gender identity. The pastor of that large, formerly Southern Baptist Church, in my opinion, is a coward who refused to say thou hast transgressed. So if you think well, surely the S- Southern Baptist listen. It doesn't matter what the name of the denomination is when a priest or when a preacher says or refuses to say thou hast transgressed, he's wrong. And we could go on with other examples of sin that has been accepted by what used to be conservative churches. When my grandfather was a Baptist preacher back in the 60s and 70s, let me tell you, the Southern Baptist Convention was conservative. Boy, they wouldn't have put up with any of that. In fact, most churches, period, wouldn't have put up with it. So things certainly have changed, and it's for the worse. But I believe that a large part of this acceptance of sin by churches, is driven by the pursuit of money. I really do. Now, you just look around here, and then you look at the Internet, the people who are signed on Facebook. But I think our, our pews will hold around 200, 250 people if they're squashed full. And when a pastor teaches the Bible as it's written and doesn't depend on gimmicks to bring the people in or to keep them here, he's not going to have very many in his congregation. He's not. The fewer people there are at church, the fewer dollars come in through the offering. And rather than the type of preachers I'm talking about, rather than them committing to preaching God's Word, and if they have to, earning the rest of their living as a tent maker like the Apostle Paul did, or whatever their profession is, those pastors take the easy road. And my question is, how can such a pastor say that he's concerned about the flock when he himself is a wolf? When you see... Preachers such as the priests in the house of the Lord and as a rise day, you ought to support them. And I'm very thankful for the people who attend church here, both in person and online, because you're very supportive. But we don't have very many here. Even if everybody who was on our membership role right now and the visitors we have who are pretty faithful we're all here at the same time, we wouldn't fill up the auditorium. But we're not as concerned about putting a person in each pew as we are about teaching you God's Word and knowing that God's Spirit will draw the right people here and keep them here. And the ones who don't want to hear God's Word, the ones who are like Azariah, Uzziah, who hear a rebuke of their sin and they get mad and they leave, that's okay. We don't want them to leave, but we would rather they repent and believe what God said. That's our our prayer. But we're not going to say, you know what, (sighs) we don't want them to leave. I'll tell you what, that that one sin we keep preaching on, we're just going to set that over to the side, and we just won't address that anymore. We're not going to do that by God's grace. Because the flesh would certainly say, oh, it would be nice to fill this place up. The flesh wants to say that. But at what expense? Now go back to your text in 2 Kings 15 and look with me at the end of verse 5. And Jotham the king's son was over the house judging the people of the land. So he was essentially acting as a governor in place of his father the king. Verse 6. And the rest of the acts of Azariah, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Azariah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Jotham his son reigned in his stead. And yes, some of those acts of Azariah are written in Second Chronicles 26, but not all of them, just as the case with other kings. There are historical chronicles diaries daily logs for every world leader that existed and we don't have all of those but what we do have plainly declares the holiness of God and that his standard does not change it does not diminish just because it's being applied to a king the leprosy God would have put on an unbelieving farmer is the same as what he would have put on an unbelieving king. You know, President Trump was the first president ever to be indicted, and I think the case is weak and vindictive, but if he did wrong, then he shouldn't escape punishment. However, now that the liberals have decided to suddenly seek the truth, and to exact justice for every violation of the law, I certainly hope this same standard is going to be applied to the crimes of the sitting president, prior presidents, and other politicians. But I'm not naive enough to think that'll happen. Because we have a two-tiered justice system. One for you and me, and then one for the big wigs. And in Azariah's day, God showed us through these bold and faithful priests and through that leprosy that there was not a two-tiered justice system in his word. God doesn't have a two-tiered justice system. What was good for the people was good for the king. And among the Lord's church, there's also equality in the application of this standard of god's word at least in god's eyes now people may not see it that way but god does god holds the preacher to the same standard as he does the people in fact the preacher's got some more responsibilities the people don't have but at no time does the preacher have less accountability to god than the people do we're all accountable to what god's word says about us And we better be in agreement with God concerning this standard. Let's look at verse 8 and then we'll finish up. In the thirty and eighth year of Azariah, king of Judah, did Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reign over Israel in Samaria six months. So about fourteen years before Azariah, the one we read about, about fourteen years before he died in Judah, King Zechariah was placed on the throne of Israel in their capital city, Samaria. And we know this because we learned that Azariah was on the throne 52 years. The math is easy. And because Zechariah reigned only six months, everything he did was done while Azariah was on the throne in Judah. So we'll pick up with this king in verse 9, Lord willing, next week. Let's pray. Father, you've been so good to us to teach us through your word And to show us, Father, there is one standard, and not only could King Azariah not meet it, none of us can. Thank you that Jesus met that standard, that holy standard, so that he could die for us as a perfect, sinless substitute. And in him, we can keep that righteous standard. And Lord, I pray that if there is one here today, either with us or online, or who will come in after a while, who does not know Jesus as Savior, Perhaps they've tried to keep a holy standard in their own flesh and they grow frustrated and desperate. We pray you'd show them through your word the cross of Jesus where they can rest all of their failures, all of their sorrows and their sin and trade their unrighteousness for Jesus' righteousness. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.